Hello, everyone. Just a quick note to say that this podcast interview was recorded prior to the COVID-19 pandemic. So we didn't cover that area of risk in this interview. However, the insights shared are very much still relevant, as you will soon find out. And you can, of course, find insights on managing the risks related to the pandemic on DerivSource.com. In the meantime, enjoy this podcast on cybersecurity. Hello, and welcome to this DerivSource podcast. I'm Julia Schieffer, the founder and editor of DerivSource.com. Have you got a suspicious email lately or even a text? We all have at some stage, and the instances of cyber attacks are on the rise. As such, financial institutions are, or should be, ramping up their cybersecurity measures to mitigate this growing risk and combat the increasing sophistication of hacks and attacks. This is a topic that we've covered in recent years at DerivSource, but in this episode, we're going to take a deeper dive to look at the top trends in cybersecurity, including the changing role of the Chief Information Security Officer, or CISO, in 2020. And with me to walk through these trends is Joe Kroll, a senior analyst at IT Group, an expert in all things privacy and cybersecurity. Welcome to the podcast, Joe. Thank you for joining us. Thank you very much, Julia. Joe, can you begin by telling us a little bit about yourself? Sure. I joined IT Group last year, and it was a follow-on to what was a 44-year career in information security. I started off with about 21 years with the U.S. intelligence community, and I worked at American embassies overseas. After that experience, I was the chief information security officer for three Global 1000 companies. And then uh, after that, I became a consultant, and uh, I worked for large consulting companies focusing on security strategy and risk. And here's a fun fact. I've worked in 115 countries. So you recently published a report on the top 10 trends in cybersecurity 2020, more ransomware, evolving strategies, and new tools. For financial institutions, which trends, if not all of them, are going to be the most significant in 2020 and why? Absolutely. Sure, Julia. The, you know, we released this report and it was actually very challenging for us to do this, to just curate it down to the top 10 trends. We really had a hard time because most of the rapid change we're seeing in cybersecurity these days, all of our trends that we highlighted in the report, which included the expanding impact of ransomware attacks, the growing risk from insecure APIs, and the wider adoption of security orchestration, automation, and response, or what we call SOAR. These are all very applicable to any organization, but specifically to financial services organizations. And these are the things we expect to be front and center in 2020. How are cyber risks changing this year? That's a great question. And I'll just, uh, I'll polish up my crystal ball a little bit here, but uh, We certainly know that 2020 is going to be an interesting year for chief information security officers and their teams, and interesting in quotes. We know the attackers are growing bolder, they're more sophisticated, but we still see big challenges in sourcing, hiring, training, and retaining the cybersecurity staff to address the attacks. You know, we've got GDPR now, you know, fully launched. We've got the California Consumer Protection Act that came in place in January and will go into enforcement in July. 
And we've got a hodgepodge of national, international regulations that are just going to make compliance really challenging. And we're going to see more requirements and lots of enforcement in 2020. On the defensive side, we're seeing more solutions that are leveraging automation, AI, machine learning. And we're also seeing investment in cybersecurity companies just continuing to grow unabated. But even with all the new technologies and tools, it's clear we still need real people to manage cybersecurity and make the decisions that the computers can't, at least not yet. With the constant news of hacks and exposure of sensitive data via the cloud and cloud misconfiguration specifically, do you see financial firms looking to better safeguard their data and their supporting systems? Absolutely. And you've hit a nail on the head. Uh, one of our top trends for 2020 was specifically around cloud misconfigurations. You know, cloud computing is about a decade old now, but administrators are still making really fundamental errors when they're working with cloud instances and particularly storage. Uh, there's a number of tools available from the cloud vendors and third parties to kind of act as a spell checker to keep these administrators from running with scissors. But nonetheless, these misconfigurations are still leading to significant incidents. Uh, financial services companies, they've seen the efficiency, they've seen the viability of cloud computing, but they're going to really need to demonstrate that they understand the risk of cloud misconfigurations, which uh, will help them avoid brand damage, loss of customer confidence, and those inevitable compliance gaps. Focusing on cloud, can you share, Joe, any best practices for how firms can look to improve the security around any cloud technologies used? Well, this is a much more complex question than we can go into in just a couple of minutes, but using the cloud is not really that much different from using any type of IT service. You know, you do a risk assessment, you look at access, you look at who's accessing the data and what and for what reason, and you follow basic information security hygiene whether it's an on-prem or, an, or a, a cloud or a hybrid cloud environment. But here's some of the key takeaways with the cloud. You have to make sure that access to the cloud is tightly controlled. And we have specialized products like uh, CASBs. You know, we're talking a lot about the trend of, of zero trust. And when you start talking about mobile device access to cloud instances, it just gets deeper and deeper and more and more complex. But following checklists, following procedures, making sure the administrators are fully trained and understand the risks that can be associated with the cloud, that's a good first step. And then you can bolt the technologies on as you go forward. Where are the most common breaks in security or areas that cause risk in the existing technology? What types of security solutions are evolving that firms can adopt to address existing gaps or just ramp up their defenses? Sure, so I'm gonna do a bit of a history lesson here. We've built all these wonderful services over the top of the internet and modern data networks. But let's keep in mind that when the ARPANET was created, the forerunner to the internet and today's data communications, it was never designed for security and privacy. The ARPANET and underlying technologies like TCP IP this was designed for resilience. So if a node got knocked out, other nodes kept the messages flowing. But in the 90s and early 2000s, we just couldn't resist making money from this newfangled toy. 
And there were thousands of new government and commercial services that were launched with very little consideration of security and privacy implications. And we've been trying to catch up ever since. So what's happened is we've taken a system or a network or a platform, and we've tried to do things with it that it was never designed to do. So anything we're doing with the internet or with data networks, whether it's communications or transaction processing or customer analytics, we're doing it on what is inherently a very insecure system. And as you know, the, the scams evolved as fast as we launched these new services. So we remember the original viruses and worms that, that came out uh, that were quite interesting with funny names. And I'm sure you got quite a few emails from Nigerian princes that just couldn't wait to give you money. But, you know, most people are aware of these scams today. The thing is that the scams keep coming. They're evolving and it's impossible to function in today's world if you don't have email, if you can't use the web and you don't use your mobile device. So these are attack vectors that are really kind of a mixed blessing. We love to use them, but we don't consider that the underlying technology requires us to apply security controls to keep patching and evolving. But the underlying uh, network was never designed to do some of the things we're doing with it. On the technology front, what are some of the emerging trends that you're seeing so far in 2020? There's some interesting technologies that are going to become much more prevalent in 2020. And the top 10 trends report that we released uh, specifically highlights uh, breach and attack simulation tools where organizations can run simulated hacks against their environment to see if their controls are working. We talked about security analytics platforms, which are next generation to give new life to the security information and event management platforms. And we're talking also about uh, software-defined networking and software-defined uh, perimeters because these overcome the so-called flat network. And flat networks bring great joy to attackers because once you're in, you can go just about anywhere. On the technology front, what are some of the emerging trends that you're seeing so far in 2020? I think it's too early. There, there are so many new technologies and frankly, so many new companies. I don't think there's a real leader of the pack right now. All of them are trying to solve different problems in different ways. I think that there's great promise from certain things like uh, endpoint detection and response. I think there's a lot more intelligence in the network that can help um, identify attackers before they execute their attacks. I think there's a lot that can be done from the automation side of the house because uh, we have such a shortage of qualified personnel. But I don't think there's a silver bullet yet. And I've uh, not seen one in my many years of doing this. It's a combination of uh, bronze bullets or just regular bullets. This is an ever complicated and changing space, Joe. So I'm wondering if you have any suggestions for how firms can keep up with emerging technologies to support their new needs. The fundamental is that any security department has to get the basics right. Um, they have to have good procedures, good process. They have to understand the threat. They have to do constant training of their teams. Uh, there's a lot of things that you have to get right before you can even begin to talk about implementing technologies. So that having been said, 
Uh, what I used to do when I was a CISO, I would find somebody on my team that was truly interested in new technologies, uh, the geek, if you will. And I would tell this person, okay, it's your responsibility from time to time to attend podcasts and, you know, listen to different webinars and, you know, try to find out what new and emerging technologies are out there. Subscribe to newsletters. And once a month or so, just tell us what you're seeing that you're very interested in and give us an appreciation of what new technologies are coming that may address our specific needs. And I found that by doing this, it makes that particular person feel like a real welcome member of the team, uh, that they're providing a lot of value, and they get the opportunity to dive deep into the bits and bytes of the new things that are coming. And, and focusing on the role of the Chief Information Security Officer, CISO, how is this role changing? I get this question probably more than any other question in the last five years, uh, both as a consultant and now as an industry analyst. But I'll tell you that the role of the CISO has certainly changed since the days that I wore that hat. Uh, it's continuing to evolve. The world is just becoming more and more complex. And we're asking our CISOs to do more and do more and do more. And we're really not um, giving them much more in the way of resources. They may get, you know, minor budget increases, but it's really not enough to keep up with this, this constantly evolving landscape. So here's my take after working with so many CISOs over the last years is there's three things that I think a CISO needs to do to be successful. Three things that are really fundamental that are necessary for success. Number one, knowledge of the business being defended. Uh, it's amazing how many times I've asked a CISO, well, how does that manufacturing line work? And they cannot tell me the answer. Or how many widgets does your company produce in a quarter? And has it been increasing or decreasing over the last four quarters? These are the kind of fundamental things that a CISO needs to do to be able to anticipate business issues, expansions, geographic issues. And that's an area where many CISOs are quite deficient. The second thing is they need to understand the attack surface and what kind of tools are out there. And they don't need to be a technologist. Uh, like I said, they could pick somebody on the team to be able to cover this and just understand at a high level that the vendor market is evolving and changing at a very rapid pace. And there may be a tool or a technology or a process that's developed that can alleviate some of the pain points. And I tell you, uh, a CISO needs to be a strong leader to keep the team motivated because sometimes the challenges just seem so insurmountable. So those are the fundamentals. And there's one other thing that I, I really wanna mention. It doesn't hurt at all for a CISO to be a great communicator and even a negotiator when dealing with the peers and the organization's leadership and increasingly with the board of directors. And last December, we published a report that touched on CISO relationships and how to improve board engagement. You mentioned a shortage of cybersecurity professionals. Where can these roles be filled from? And is this about finding cyber experts or training up existing IT staff? Great question. So depending on what source you believe, uh, we've seen industry and estimates that range from about one to four million open cyber roles worldwide and about 500,000 of those in the United States. Uh, 
So this means that scissors are gonna really have to be clever. You're gonna have to source new talent from non-traditional sources. And some things we've recommended in our top 10 trends report included participating and sponsoring uh, cyber defense competitions, expanding internship programs, and allowing IT staff from other parts of the organization to shadow the security team. And while they're shadowing, you can examine them and, and see if they're suitable for future cybersecurity roles. In fact, uh, the last role that I had as a CISO, I sourced a lot of people from the IT team, and one of my best uh, security analysts was a systems administrator that just uh, became very interested in cyber and has now made a career out of that. One specific thing that we've seen that seems to work is to convince company HR departments to waive the four-year degree requirement for cyber jobs. There are some great practitioners that really don't have a formal education. And some examples of folks that have done really well in this uh, career field are obviously former military, IT freelancers, and even computer gamers. If they're really interested in this and they've got a uh, proclivity for working with computers, we want to apply that knowledge to cyber. Joe, in your expert opinion, is there one or two things that firms need to do immediately to ensure that they are keeping their cybersecurity measures up to par to meet increasing risks? Oh, that's a big challenge uh, to just limit advice to a few sound bites, but let me give it a shot. I think the first thing I would do is uh, update playbooks and run uh, realistic breach exercises because you know, it's inevitable that, that companies are going to have security problems and it's better to be prepared and understand where the pain points are before you actually have a, a real breach or a real problem. And another thing I would say that the success that the attackers have had in 2019 with ransomware, I'd be looking at my real-time backup solutions and, and see if that's something that, you know, can I really restore all the critical data once I backed it up? And wait a minute, there's another thing that I'd recommend organizations do, and specifically CISOs. They should look at their cyber insurance policies and make sure that the coverage really matches today's threats. Uh, we're seeing a lot of misunderstanding around cyber insurance, what's covered, what's not, what the exclusion is. And this is an area where organizations and CISOs can really get down deep into it and start to figure out if this is still a viable way to transfer risk. This is obviously going to be an ongoing topic of interest for the world and for our listeners. Can you share any other related research that you have planned this year? Absolutely. So the three portfolios that I cover are obviously cybersecurity, but I also cover privacy and I cover IT risk. So my reports over the next year or so are going to focus on those three areas. And then we'll also do some topical coverage based on events or, or things that happen throughout the year. But for the most part, we are really going to focus on things like, uh, you know, providing chief information security officers practical advice if they're too busy or they don't have the, the resources to be able to go deep on a subject. Thank you very much, Joe. That gives our audience much food for thought. Thank you for your time and for sharing your insight with us. Thanks. It's been a pleasure. Listeners, we hope that you have enjoyed this podcast. Stay tuned for more in this series and check out the show notes page on derivesource.com for more related resources and contacts on this topic that you might find useful. 
Thank you for listening. Join us next time. 